Thank you, JP, for leading us in worship this morning and throughout these trying times. Thank you for every worship leader that has led us in worshiping the Lord in a time of great trial. This morning, I'm just going to warn you that uh, I'm sure there will be elements of a regular sermon, (laughs) Um, but this is more like a family conversation. It's more like a family conversation. Well, it probably will be passionate at times, but uh, if you were part of my family, you would know that's how family conversations go sometimes, right? This is the last, as you know, the last Sunday of 2020. And it has been a year like none other in my lifetime. I'm sure there are people who are older than me that can recollect other times um, that may have been, that may compare, but in my little over half century, I haven't seen anything like it. And therefore, it would be, in my opinion, a mistake to be on our way to exit the year without a family conversation, without trying to process this year. I know we're still in the midst of the things that have caused the year to be what it is. However, sometimes it's appropriate to take a time out in the midst of the goings on and try to make sure we keep our head. Not because a vaccine is here, Uh, Not because uh, we've gotten some semblance of orientation to what this new norm is and not because we can see a light at the end of of the tunnel, but this is the church. And so the things that anchor us are not a vaccine. It's not a light at the end of the tunnel as the world sees it. And this morning, I want to help us to process from the word, this most trying of years. I am going to do something that I thought was very respectful um, in virtual meetings that I've been a part of, one virtual meeting in particular where they have a moment of silence for those who have lost people in the pandemic in respect to those who have lost their lives during the pandemic in respect to those who are just undergoing trial um, in the midst of the pandemic. And so I know you're at home. Um, I know I cannot feel you being silent along with me, but I would like to ask us for a moment to be silent and to, as we are silent, contemplate the level of loss that we've been experiencing throughout this year.
thank you. That moment of silence was probably less than a minute. But some people have had to be silent because they lost a loved one. They know someone who's lost a loved one. Not just to the disease, not just to the virus, but maybe other things. The virus contributes at last, at my last reading of news from various sources to the most deadly year in the United States. Now, death is not something that the Christian is unfamiliar with because we know that our salvation was accomplished through the death of Christ. But we also know that death is an enemy and therefore it's not something that we, that we, that we just, just celebrate. I mean, we can celebrate the fact that Jesus is Lord even over death and that, um, and that you know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But just as a phenomenon, death is an enemy. And even having grown up in a, in a neighborhood where you are acquainted with death, this is still unparalleled. And so the question, one of the, one of the burdens as we exit this year, even though we know that the pandemic doesn't end on December 31st, but again, this is just to help us to make sure our minds are set straight and set straight by the word of God within the context of the pandemic and other trials that may come our way. Because there is no guarantee that things are going to get better. Who would have thought that at the beginning of 2020 that we would be in a place where we are now and having hindsight to look back at what the year has been? Who would have imagined what we've been walking through? I know I couldn't have imagined what we've been walking through, and yet we've walked through it, and we're walking through it. Many of us are not acquainted with this kind of suffering or even potential suffering, because I don't think it's, a, it's, 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 it's suffering to wear a mask. I don't necessarily think it's suffering in, the, in an ultimate kind of way, in a persecution kind of way to not meet as a church. There's an element of it. I miss you all. I was telling Phil that his daughter looked like she was a teenager when she was reading uh, for, for the uh, Christmas, the children's ministry Christmas um, uh, event that we had uh, last week. So there's an element, but it's, it's small. It's not immediately life-threatening unless you have the virus. So how does a society that is, that is, that is used to prosperity and comfort handle and process unparalleled suffering, unparalleled lifetime suffering? So there may be a time, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't studied this, there may be a time in which there was 
much more going on and death was more, uh, you know, it was closer and that people were just always looking around over their shoulder. Um, but in our lifetime, it's unparalleled adversity. Well, obviously, I believe that God's word does have something to say about this, about how we are to handle our suffering. Um, not only do we have books like, like Job, not only do we have a book like the book of Psalms where much of the cry there is um, because of the suffering that the psalmists are experiencing, but we do have in the New Testament a wonderful letter that it would do us well to be very familiar with, and that is the book of First Peter. I mentioned that this is going to be more like a, like a conversation, and so I'm not going to do a lot of, 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 of you know, what the background is, but I will say this, that First Peter was written to believers in Christ who were suffering. So if we want to know how to suffer as a believer in Christ, First Peter is a book that we will become, that we will be wise to become acquainted with. And it's written to people who cannot necessarily change their situation. See, here in our country, we're used to being able to change our situation. See, even our poor people, they're not poor in the economy of the world because they have so many, so many avenues to, to access to resources. Now, relatively speaking, sure, they're, they're poor. But if you go to a, a place like, say, Honduras or some other country, that's a third world country, the poor will be poor. Jesus said that the poor will always be around. That is until all things are consummated under his feet. And then as we will see at the end of our conversation, there will be no more poor. But until then, there will be poor and there will be suffering. And we, as Pastor Curtis said so many times, even on last week, we're not exempt. Therefore, it means that when we suffer, God has not abandoned us. As a matter of fact, he is at work in the midst of our suffering to accomplish something much greater than we can imagine. And that is what 1 Peter 1 is going to tell us. But before we dive into 1 Peter chapter 1, let's pray. Oh, Lord, um, I pray that you would give grace for this to be a beneficial time of engagement with your people. I pray that you would please increase and that I would decrease. Lord, I pray that you would use me now. And I pray that you would please open the hearts of your people, open our hearts to hear your word, to be encouraged even in the midst of sorrow and walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Lord, I pray that you would help us to set our minds on things above. 
where Christ is. Lord, I pray that you would help us. As people would say in a neighborhood like I grew up in, Lord, would you toughen us up that we may be able to endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. May we do it not just to be hard or hard-hearted, for that's not your way, but Lord, may we do so to glorify you. Father, we ask you this in Jesus' name, and we thank you. Amen. So I know my wife is in the uh, kitchen right now. I'm sorry, you guys can't see that, but if she's there, I'm just asking her, because she grabbed me a water while she's in there, um, because my mouth is very dry. But... First Peter, beginning in chapter 1 and reading through verse 9, it says, To those chosen, living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sprinkling, excuse me, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power. Thank you, Jasmine. Um, you are being guarded. By God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him, though you... Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Paul begins talking to uh, dispersed believers who were just all over the place. You saw the list of places where they were. Um, they were all over the place because probably because of persecution, um, just like in Acts, when the believers leave Jerusalem and they go everywhere. He reminds them um, that, um, that they are chosen, which is very important for us to remember as well, as we think about what's going on, as we consider like how the world has changed, we must not forget who we are. We are not able to meet as we've been used to meeting 
And therefore, it can be easy to forget who we are. Oh, we won't forget what our last name is. We won't forget what our first name is. We won't forget our family, but we may forget that we are the people of God because we're not meeting in the ways in which we're used to meeting. We don't see each other. We don't, after the message, we're not able to talk with the pastor. After the message, we're not able to hang out and talk with each other. After the message, we're not able to leave here and go out to lunch together. We're not able to do those things. And those are ways that just solidify who we are. They don't make us who we are. They are expressions of who we are. The chosen people of God getting together is something that they long to do. And that's why some people do feel like they're persecuted because they're not able to come together. I don't, I don't agree with that, but I understand that they want to be together with the people of God. See, when, when, when back in the slavery days, when, when, when the slaves um, that believed wanted to get together, you know that they, they could not. It was unlawful for them to get together. But do you know that they had such a burning zeal to be amongst the people of God that they would steal away and they would get together anyway? It was an expression of who they were. They were chosen, even though they were exiles. Exiles meaning they don't live in, their, in, in, in the country that they're from. They've been sent away. And there's an element in which friend, believer, uh, brother and sister, that we are exiles here on this earth right now. This is not our home. Yes, our if we get a passport, our citizenship will say that we're from the United States of America, but this is not our home. This earth is not our home. We are exiles. Once we've been baptized with the Lord, We're lowered, spiritually speaking, into death, and we raise to newness of life. What does 2 Corinthians 5 say? It says that anyone who's in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The New Testament lets us know that we are citizens of heaven now. So we are living in exile. And we're, we're living in exile because we're chosen. And look, in that first verse, he says chosen, he uses the word chosen twice to those chosen, living as exiles. This person, I think he went off a little bit, you know, you know so he got, he's there talking about it, to those who are chosen, living as exiles, dispersed, and then he lists the place. And he's like chosen. So getting back to chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God, the foreknowledge of God means that before there was anything to be known, God knew. So before your parents even got together, God knew. Before you, if you're black like me, before any of your ancestors came over, you were known by God. And if you're not me, before any, anyone came over here who's not a, a, a Native American, God had chosen you, his foreknowledge. He selected you. He selected us according to his foreknowledge through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. 
If you read James, you know that trials have a way of sanctifying. And this passage just comes right along with it that we are being sanctified. Why are we being sanctified? We're being sanctified. The next part says to be obedient. Remember that Jesus, it says in Hebrews, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. In some mysterious way that I wish in my flesh was not the way. God uses affliction. He uses suffering to help us to be obedient. The psalmist said, this is King James Version coming out, but he says, says it was good for me that I had been afflicted that I might know your ways. There is something also that we learn about God when we go through affliction. And we'll see that a little bit later. But, 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 but to know God, remember uh, Paul in, in Philippians, he's like, he wants to know Christ, right? He wants to know the power of his resurrection and he wants to know the fellowship of his sufferings. As mentioned in the in, in sermon this year, all of us want to know the power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his sufferings. Mm. Not so much. And I, I put myself in that category as well. It's not like I'm like, oh, Lord, come what may. No, when I, when I say my prayers, I, I'm, I'm normally not saying, Lord, uh, please let this thing happen that I don't like. Please, let, No, I'm not praying that. That's not what I'm praying. But to use an analogy that I've shared with people who I've had the pleasure of having one-on-one Zoom meetings with. Trials are like NyQuil. If you ever had to drink NyQuil, it's nasty. It tastes, it's, it's nasty. But you know what? It's a reason that it has all those things that it takes care of in that little jingle because it will take care of those things. It'll put you down for a little while and you'll wake up, that cough will be lessened, gone. It'll help you go to sleep, all, all of that. It will do it. I don't know anybody who likes to take NyQuil. I don't know anybody. I, now, I'm, 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 I'm dating myself, but that's all right. It'll work for people who know what I'm talking about. That Vicks Formula 44D, that was some of the nastiest cough medicine ever. But I mean, just by tasting it, you knew it was going to work. And surely it did. That's how trials are. They taste nasty. Who wants to go through 2020 again? But may we see, oh, may God grant us to see the work that he's doing in us as a result of navigating 2020 in a way in which some of the things that we've depended upon in ways that are not 
worthy of dependence, that they might get put in their rightful place. I pray that this is happening. And I know that this is happening because of some of those meetings I referenced, and I'm very grateful. But we're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. Being sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, now Paul, when he talked to the Ephesian elders when he was leaving in Acts chapter 20, he said he let them know that, 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 that the flock that they were uh, supposed to look out for, that they were people that Christ had purchased with his own blood. So this sprinkled with the blood of Christ um, could be referring to just being bought by the blood of Jesus. It's definitely referring to that, but it could also be because it's, uh, it's, it's referencing something that the believers that were scattered would have known, especially Jewish believers, they, would, they would, would have been aware of the sacrificial process in which sometimes the blood of what was sacrificed was sprinkled on other things, right? Which involved the other things in the process of what was being sanctified and kind of transferred uh, um, uh, involvement, included, made, made it involved in the process. So that just thinking back to the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. And Paul, even in one place, talking about making up for the uh, uh, afflictions of Christ, for the church, in some mysterious way. And I may be getting ahead of myself, but you'll hear it again if I am, um, because I told you this is like a, com a conversation here, right? So in, in some mysterious way, just like remember when, 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 when Christ meets Saul on the road to Damascus, right? He asks him, why are you persecuting me? And Saul doesn't know what he's talking about. Who are you, Lord? Jesus says that he's Jesus. And basically what Jesus is saying, by you persecuting my people, you're persecuting me. Have you ever thought about the flip side of that coin? I haven't, hadn't thought about it. But when, it talk, when we talk about being uh, entering into the fellowship of the suffering of Christ, just as Christ is persecuted when we are persecuted, our sufferings are just, uh, our suffering allows us to participate in his suffering. So that's, that's Probably stated, it's stated the same way, but there's a, a, a bit of a, of a nuance. We normally think of how Christ, act, how Christ associates with us, right? But how often do we think about, and this is the same, but it's nuanced, how Christ has associated us with himself, right? How, yes, we see, oh, good, Christ has joined, joined himself to us in such a way that we, 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 he, he can say that when, he, when we suffer, he suffers. But how often do we even think like that? Like I'm suffering because I'm with Christ. Or my suffer we normally think, I believe, I normally don't think like that. I think like, I don't like this. Lord, can you cause this to end? I'm usually not thinking that Christ continues to suffer in some respect as a result of his people suffering, 
as a result of my suffering, as a result of your suffering. That's not something that I normally think of. Maybe you just have more, you know, meditative power than I do, and you have understood that. But that is something that I appreciate, knowing that, that, because then it makes my suffering not in vain. It makes my suffering not have the last word. It causes my suffering to have perspective rather than something just happening that I don't like. And 2020 has had a lot of that. Pastor Kurt talked about the loss of one of our dear but distant now friends, Jason. Less than a month before Jason passed, some of you know this, but I had the displeasure of losing a 19-year-old nephew and that whole process, the process of starting off my day with such joy because it was just another day and we're in the midst of this pandemic and you know, people hopefully are grateful for every breath. And I have breath this morning, Lord. Thank you. I'm ready to, as much as possible, take on this day for you, Lord. Thank you for that mind, Lord. And my mom calls me crying. And you know, when people cry, you can't understand what they're saying, but they still try to talk anyway sometimes. My mom was doing that. And I understood her to say, through her tears, that my nephew died. 19 years old. I turned 19, not even, I turned 19 that same month. Jesus knows what it's like to lose. Remember that even though he would raise Lazarus, he still wept because, again, death is an enemy. And actually, it is that awareness of Jesus that helps me not to, that helps me to process things that may be grieving to me because with the background that I have, the more natural disposition is to harden myself against the, 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 the natural response, which is to grieve. But by God's grace, understanding the Lord's character more is helping me. So these trials that we have, we should remember 
First and foremost, we should remember our identity, that our identity is that we are chosen and that God has chosen us before the foundation of the world, as as Ephesians one says. But he says it here also. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God, and he is a different he. So in Ephesians it's Paul, but here it's Peter. But they all know that God has been at work and that he continues to be at work and that that some kind of way, even though he doesn't explain the whole process, he lets us know that even through our sufferings, that he is working and that the ability to go through the suffering should be informed by the, the reality that we are chosen. Our identity is in him and it's not just in being a Dixon or whatever your last name is. As with Job, who could not see all of the eternal background to his situation, so are we. We don't always see the eternal background to our situation, but hopefully this helps us. So we are chosen uh, according to the foreknowledge of God. Uh, We're being sanctified through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with with the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says to them, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And my desire this, this morning is that that grace and peace will be multiplied to us as a result of our conversation this morning. He goes on to say in verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of his great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead in and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So he is reminding us that, yes, that that blood of Christ that was that was shed, that has been an expression of God's great mercy towards us and given us new birth. So we're new in Christ and we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. Yes, everyone dies. We know that, but not everyone rises from the dead. So we have a living hope because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I am telling you something that we need to remind ourselves of and make sure it's at the forefront of our mind that we are able to do things differently because Jesus has risen from the dead. This is why we have a living hope. For others, death may have the last word, but for believers, death does not have the last word. And actually, even for unbelievers, death doesn't have the last word. God has the last word all the time. Those of us who are in Christ and who have the new birth, we understand that God has the last word. And even if we even if we. Uh, see, understand the, the, the capabilities of God and we know that God can do something, but God doesn't do the thing he's capable of. All I'm doing right now is just reminding you of stuff you've already know if you're a member of Solid Rock Church. You should be able to finish this sentence for me. If we cannot trust, if, if, if we have to trust God's character when it seems like or looks like He's not doing what he's capable of doing. See, the living hope 
is in who God is. Not what God does. Because who God is will definitely express itself in what he does. But what he chooses to do in each and every instant, it may not always appear that he's doing that which is in concert with his character. And that's not on him. That's on us. That's on the every last one of us struggles with making a God in our own image. We may not erect an idol, but we have our convictions about what God should do, shouldn't do, and we, we, we just do. And so we have to acknowledge that and trust in the character of God when it seems like he's not doing what he's capable of doing or for some reason he chooses to do something different than the, what we wanted him to do. So not only did Jesus raise, rise from the dead, we have this living hope. Um, and we also have this inheritance. And this inheritance is imperishable, um, which means that it's not subject to decay or it's indestructible, that it will definitely endure, that it is undefiled, which means it's, it's clean and it's unpolluted, it's, un, it's untainted, that it's unfading, which means that it will never lose its, its luster. And, 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 and sometimes we, our, our experience is that, you know, something about our salvation has changed. But let me, let me tell you that nothing about your salvation has changed because of the next, what it says. It says, it says that this, this inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. So you're not even there yet, right? Because it's an inheritance, but it's being kept for you. It's being guarded by God himself. And it is, despite what may seem to be right now, it is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. And at those times where we, right here, we might think that it's faded, or it might be just a trial, and it might be something that's just disoriented us, but we need to make sure that we endure to the end, and we will see that the inheritance that he kept in heaven for us. That is, was no way that it could perish. That there was no way that it could be defiled. That there was no way that it could fade because nothing in heaven does. And not only is our inheritance taken care of, but look at what it says about us. You are being guarded by God's power through faith. My friends, what, 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 what the trials show us, what the, tri- what the trials show us, what they reveal to us when we, so, so I don't know how many of you have seen the Lord of the Rings. So there's this, there's this, you know, so the ring that they have, in case you haven't seen it, there's this ring that just intoxicates you with the desire for power, Right. And so this ring, whoever gets it, they're defiled by that desire. They just they they want power. So there's this one person uh, who's who's has the ring and he has to take it and destroy it. And so at times he's, you know, he's a bit taken away with the lustful power. And really everyone, anyone who comes in contact with it is. So they go to this one place where there's this uh, character. 
I don't remember the name of the character, but I, I, I remember the designation. She's the queen of the wood. So she's an elven person. This is, you know, this is not real, right? Okay, so. Um, but uh, she's, a, she's an elven queen. So, there's, so, so when, she, when she comes into contact with the bearer of the ring, just by the presence of the ring, she must like get a whiff of the, of the aroma of power. And so she kind of illuminates. She turns into this monstrous thing. Well, not really monstrous. It's still her, but it's just she's illuminated and she starts having a deep voice and she's talking about being the queen and ruling over everything. And then she calms down. And then she starts being happy that she endured the test of having the ring near her and to have that temptation for a moment, that test for a moment, but then passing the test. When we endure trials, we are like the queen of the woods. We might be tempted to do this and that, tempted by the devil, that's who tempts us. Tested by God. Now, I'm not sure who, when I said this, I've been talking to a lot of people, but I remember being in school and anytime there was a test, a brother did not like tests. No, because I thought tests were supposed to reveal how much I didn't know. As an adult helping kids with homework, it dawned on me like, hey, man, tests aren't really to show what you don't know. They're to show what you know. They're an opportunity to show that you know this material, that you've mastered this material. And our trials, when they're tests from God, they are to bring out what's in us. You know how people say the cream rises to the top? Well, our trials bring our faith out of us and allow us to express our faith in ways that prosperity doesn't. In ways that ease doesn't. In ways that comfort can't. See, our walking through trials is not just about us. It is about the glory of God. And it is about, hey, remember the identity? This is one of my chosen ones. So they're not going to suffer as other people suffer. Remember when, when, when Paul is talking to the Thess Thessalonians, he tells them that they are not to grieve as the world does. It doesn't mean that they don't grieve. It just means that they do it differently. It doesn't mean that we have, you know, pom-poms on about our, you know, about our trials. And we're like, yay, I'm trying. No, it doesn't mean that. And yet... Well, I'll, 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 just, I'll just say that. No, all right. And, and yet, when you look at verse 6, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Yet we see, what we see in Acts is when John, <laughs> when, 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 when Peter and John are 
before the Sanhedrin and they they get scourged because they're going to preach in the name of Jesus. They are not like, oh, man, I need to quit Jesus now, man. I need to stop doing this. This is like hazardous to my health. No. Instead, what do they do? They're like the queen of the wood. They're like, hey, we got to suffer for his namesake. Why? Because they understood. That the that 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 their suffering. Their suffering wasn't just about what happened. But their suffering was about something much bigger. And even though we aren't always or even normally clued into the specifics, just like Job wasn't. We can rest assured that there's a much bigger purpose than what we can see to our sufferings. And we need to look beyond our sufferings, not to the not to the ignoring of those, because the passage says, if necessary, you suffer grief. So that's there in various trials. So in the same sentence, rejoicing and grief are in that same sentence. Verse six, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So no one's ignoring the trial. But we're saying that the trial does not determine everything. That there's something that's more determinative than the trial. That, as a matter of fact, the trial is just a tool. Because our salvation at the end of verse 5 is ready to be revealed in the last time. And verse 7, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Christ. So what is this about? It's really about the glory of Christ. It's about him being able to keep those whom the Father has chosen and to bring them. Remember, remember, take your mind back to Job, the first chapter. The enemy comes in the presence of God with the sons of God, the other angels, the angels rather. And God is the one. Hey, where you coming from? Tells him where he's coming from. Hey. <laughs> well, he didn't laugh. That's just how I would have been if I was God. So God didn't laugh. But it's like, have you considered my servant Job? And what does the enemy do? The enemy starts giving reasons why Job trusts God. Is it possible I don't know. This is just speculation. Speculation that I I, I hope yeah, that I hope solidifies our desire to persevere to the end. So I'm not going to say is it possible, but I'm going to say like what if. What if the enemy is like your church ain't nothing. They only, so let's say the American church, let's say us, right? Because we're, we're so prosperous. They only serve you because they, ain't, they, they haven't really suffered any persecution. 
They only serve you because you've given them big houses and nice salaries and you've given them retirement and they have insurance and they have they even have dental plans and they they can they can get glasses whenever the uh, whenever they need them and 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 fill in the blank. What else could he say about about our church in America? And what could he say about me? What could he say about you? Mike only serves you because. But the proven character of our faith will result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ if we endure as good soldiers of Christ. Our faith is refined through the crucible of suffering. And just to put suffering into its proper perspective, Paul was able to say, and you may remember this in Romans, which we will be getting back to soon. He said in 8, verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. That puts suffering into perspective. He didn't say that he didn't have any suffering. I know some Christians believe that, but hopefully 2020 has helped them to see, no, there's going to be some suffering. But it's not worth comparing. He didn't say it wasn't real. He said it's not worth comparing. He didn't say it didn't, it won't hurt. He said it's not worth comparing. He didn't say that it wouldn't make us sad, but he said it's not worth comparing, which I believe that if he didn't say it won't make us sad, it means that whatever sadness we, we experience, this is just me thinking with hopefully a sanctified mind, that whatever sadness we experience, that, that the joy that we experience when what is going to be revealed is revealed, like that sadness is going to seem like it was not. Nothing. It's going to seem like it was just a little pinch when at the time maybe it felt like something got cut off. But the joy that's going to be revealed, the glory that's going to be revealed, it's going to make the, the suffering, the, the worst suffering that we can imagine. It's the glory is going to make that suffering seem like it was something that even wasn't even comparable to the glory that's going to be revealed. That's why he says in 1 Corinthians uh, 2, 9, he says it is written that no eye has seen nor ear heard and no human heart has conceived um, God, what God has prepared, excuse me, what God has prepared for those who love him. So we, we can't even fathom it. We, and we can't do it even with scripture. We can't, we, we can get an idea, but like the way our minds are not, open enough to really comprehend what it will be like when they're like no more tears man no um, the first thing we do when we're born is we cry there will be no more tears when we are before him when we are with him 
See, this is what Revelation says, right? This is to help us to get, to get our minds sort of around what's going to happen. Revelation 21, 1 through 8 says, Then I saw a, a, a new heaven and a new earth. The, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. See, the sea, it, it represents in, in Revelation, there's just a lot of uh, symbolism. And so the sea is representative of chaos and things just being out of control. But, but there, there will be no more sea, no more chaos at all. Ah, oh, man. Goodness, right now, I wish I was in like a, a Baptist church that was full because the fact no more chaos at all. Like that's something that I, I really look forward to. I, I think some people would be dancing right now. Just the thought of, of no chaos at all. No misunderstood words with your spouse. No disobedient children. No, not even having to give the look at the child. No bills, no sickness at all, no being misunderstood because you laughed at something that you laughed because you would have cried. None of that. No chaos, no sea, gone. Verse two, he says, I also saw the holy city. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. Here it is. This is our experience. So that's what's going to happen. Then it says, verse four, he will wipe. Away every tear from their eyes. Look, look, death will be no more. Look, grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And he said, right, because these things Excuse me, these words are faithful and true. Let's just pause there. Faithful and true. So what God promised, what he had chosen before the world even began, when he selected you and me to be in him, he is going to bring it all to completion because he's faithful and he's true. He's, his words are faithful and true because he's faithful and true. And so he's chosen us. That, that we would, yes, we would suffer some things. But you know what? Job made this observation and, and he's, he's on point. He said that man that is born of a woman has but a few days and they are full of trouble. They're full of trouble. But the one who's faithful and true is going to make everything new. And the in-between what he said and what he does is right now. And we get to show that he is faithful and true by navigating the challenges of life, the hard challenges of 2020. And whatever 2021 has, by navigating those in a way that glorifies him. 
This is what 1 Peter 4, 13 through 16 says. I only gave, actually, that's not, I think that's what. It says, I'll start at verse 12, actually. It says, dear friends, don't be surprised. When the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you, instead rejoice as, as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of, the glo of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. That, those verses should help us to see, uh, even when we are suffering uh, specifically for the name of Christ, especially the 16th verse, that because we have the name, the way we suffer uh, should have a quality and a characteristic to it that glorifies him anyway because he is, not only is he, um, is he returning, but we, through our sufferings, we share in the sufferings of Christ. And so he's saying, like, again, the, it, could, it could be that, that or it's not without the realm of, out of the realm of possibility that the enemy could have said, you know what, your church in America ain't nothing. They, they only serve you because they prosper. And so now we aren't prospering. I don't know, I'm not, you know, but that, that, could be, that could be the case. Let us make sure that we are suffering as Christians, though. And let us ask ourselves this question. What does how I suffer reveal about my identity? Do people recognize that I'm a Christ follower through the way I suffer? Or do they think I'm just like everyone else? Because this is about the one who's faithful and true. It's not only about you. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. See, eventually, he's going to say that it's done. Verse 6 of Revelation 21. I know, I know. Not like a regular sermon. It's a conversation, a passionate one. This is John saying, then he said to me, verse 6 of 21, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I need to pause right there because he's the beginning. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He's the end. He's the one standing when it's all said and done. What's happened in between was just to show that you enemy. This wasn't even a contest. This wasn't even a battle. 
Now, that's a battle for us, yes. But for God, it's not even a battle. Our suffering shows that God is on the throne. The way we suffer shows that he is on the throne. That's another question. Does the way I suffer still, does it, does it affirm that God is on the throne? See, this is why in Revelation that it talks about, you know, I mean, people have like, like I, I think for a while, I didn't even realize, especially from hearing people quote the uh, passage, I didn't realize the entirety of the passage. So it talks about, you know, those who have overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And that's where most people would stop. But then the, the passage goes on to say, for they love not their lives even to death. So even if it means that I have to lay down my life or if it means that my life is taken in some way that I do not want, I know that that's a possibility and I know that that does not, it does nothing to diminish the, the, the goodness of God if I didn't die peacefully in my sleep with all my family around me, me having said goodbye. That's, that's how I want to die. A long time from now, too. Uh, that's how I want to die. Everybody, me being like Jacob, you know, talking, not, not Jacob, excuse me. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, like Jacob. Um, um, well, Israel, after his name was changed, right? So he's, he's, he blesses all his offspring. Yeah, you this, you that. Yeah, I, that's how I want to be. That's my dream death, that I know it's coming. The Lord told me that, you know, Whatever o'clock this day, you're going to die. So gather your family up, you know, and, and, and tell them everything, you know, bless them and like say bye, love y'all, trust the Lord. He told me I'm going to pass it. And then I pass. Man, I believe everybody will be saved. And man, wow, how do you know the time? You know, but I'm sure that's not how that's going to happen. But that's, that's how I would want it to happen, right? That's just how I would want to. But if there was some other way that I passed away that I didn't like and that brought pain to people. That doesn't lessen the goodness of God. And it doesn't mean that anything was out of his control. No, it just means that that's the, as Peter alludes to, like that's the manner of death through which I would glorify him. And I think that's what we need to remember as we process 2020. Our God is still good. Our victories are not just our victories and our sufferings aren't just our own sufferings, but they are the sufferings of the Lord as well. He has entered into him and they, they mean something and probably more than what we can imagine in his economy. And so as we process 2020 and anything that is on its way, May we recognize that our victories are his and may we recognize our trials for what they are. They are a furnace, but they are a furnace to refine our faith, not to destroy our faith because our faith is not destructible. Remember that it is imperishable. It is undefiled and it's unfading and it's kept in heaven for us. May we remember that God uses the ugliness of temporary suffering to, re to refine us, rather, for the beauty of our eternal salvation. May we remember this. May we remember that we've had a 
a season of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And by the grace of God, we're still here, that he's kept us, he's protected us. And if he doesn't, may our faith be like the member that told Pastor Kurt that, you know what, I'm not afraid. If I, if I die, I'm going to wake up and be with Jesus. There's some things that I still want to do, so I hope this isn't the end. But if it is, I'll wake up with him. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, he's going he's gonna to wipe away every tear. Death will be no more. There won't be any more grief. There won't be any crying. There won't be any pain either. But that's only for people who place their faith in Jesus Christ. My friend, if that's not something you've done, um, he right now extends the invitation to everyone to come to him. Uh, He extends that invitation to you to give you hope, not only in this world, but in the one to come. There's this old movie called The Robe. And in The Robe, um, this robe is supposedly the robe that Jesus wore. And people who come in contact with it, they either get saved or they go mad, one or the other. So there's this couple who got saved. And they come before the emperor, and the emperor is like, renounce this Christ, renounce this king. And they won't renounce him. And so he sentences them to death. And as they, it's, it's so old, it's black and white. So you may not have heard of it, may not have seen it. But when, they, when, they, when they're leaving, not only not renouncing Jesus, but gladly going to their death. The, the emperor starts going mad, wondering, why aren't they afraid of death? Why are they not afraid? Why and so he kind of goes crazy as a result of not knowing the answer. You may have seen people who are not doing, you know, guarding their, this life as if it's all that they have. That's because there's more. There's life after this one. And Jesus Christ, because of his sacrifice on the cross for our sins, which is the only thing that separates us from God. He died to wipe those away so that we could not only be reconnected with God, but so that we could become more like Jesus every day. That's how we endure those trials. And so I would just ask you. That if you're watching us and that's you, you want to know more about what it means to be a believer in Christ and to have hope beyond this life. I would ask you to just simply, if you have a cell phone, to just text the number 240-623-8076 and let us know that you would like to know more about Christ. Or you can just, maybe you already know what it takes to follow him, that, that you know, that if, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you, that, that, that you, you are a believer at that point. You are, you're saved. But maybe you need to know, like, maybe you need to build yourself up. Maybe you're not, you don't have a church home right now, and that's why you're looking in on us. Text that number and let us know. We want to make sure that you're not trying to live this life solo. Because we do need each other. And by God's grace, we have each other because we all were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. And so regardless of what comes, come what may. 
may we remember to do what this nice mask says, and I kept it on for a reason. And may we remember to seek things above so that we can process what's happening below. I'm going to pray, and I hope this conversation has helped you in some regard. And if you have any questions while I'm praying, you can text them in. And if not, please do pray for our new upcoming new year. Lord, we thank you so much for your protection and your your plan, your plan to glorify yourself through humanity regardless, regardless of what comes our way. Lord, thank you that you allow us to be your children and you allow us to be co-laborers with you in making your glory known. I pray that you would help us to faithfully endure trial and suffering for your glory and to be grateful when there are no identified trials or the trials are light. Would you help us to rejoice? In Jesus' name I pray and I thank you. Amen.